All right, we'll go and get started uh, here because we want to be done. I don't know how many of y'all, um, or if any, well, I know at least a couple of you do, uh, have kids in Awana, so uh, that way you can go get your kids promptly when Awana is finished. That way Gary's not getting on to me for me going long and keeping y'all from uh, not getting your kids. So we'll be done before 7.30, so y'all can go do that. Um, let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, we do uh, thank you for today that you've given to us, and God, for tonight to be able to gather uh, together during this midweek and to uh, just fellowship with one another, and Father, to put our attention upon uh, uh, our attention upon the Christian life and how we can grow in it, how you've designed us to, to grow in the Christian life. And so, Father, just pray for, uh, for our time tonight, just that you'd bless um, um, our, our gathering Help us to understand better the way that you have formed us uh, so that we can continue to grow in Christ. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so uh, our series for this uh, semester, I just call it semester, for this fall, uh, the series is entitled Under Construction. Now, I just use that really as a visual to think about the Christian life because the Christian life is... Probably, you know, we could always just hang that sign on our chest that says under construction. We hate those signs when you have them out on the road or, or you walk into some building or department store, and, you know, under construction and everything's a mess and you're just waiting for it to be completed. That's kind of how it feels like with the Christian life. It, we, we feel like a mess and we're waiting to be completed. Uh, but the truth is uh, we're never going to be complete, at least this side of heaven, this side of the Lord's return. And we're going to be constantly under construction. God's constantly going to be uh, working in our life. And I just say that up front because I think we just need to recognize that. Because how many of y'all have ever felt frustrated? Thanks, Nate. You can get that back one too if you want. Um, how many of y'all ever just felt frustrated in the Christian life and just thinking about growing in the Christian life? Like, I'm never doing it. You think you've kind of reached a point and then you think, oh, I still have so much more to go. Yeah, I mean, it can be a little frustrating. I mean, just if we're honest uh, here, because again, we want to be, we want to complete it. We, we want it done. Um, and that frustration in the Christian life of knowing that we're never going to be complete, wanting to be complete in this life, uh, can just lead to kind of fits and starts in the Christian life, because sometimes that frustration can just leave us maybe not following the Lord as we should at times, just because we kind of throw our hands up. Um, and then we realize, okay, I need to start following the Lord again, growing in the Christian life. And it's so, again, it's just kind of, it feels like fits and starts. And so I hope that this series that we go through, um, is going to help us to smooth out those fits and starts. Not that by the end of these, um, oh, six to eight weeks, uh, however it's going to turn out here for us, uh, not at the end of these six to eight weeks that everything becomes perfect for you, but I hope that we just grow in our understanding of how God uh, has formed us, that He truly has given us everything that we need. In fact, if someone wants to turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, well, actually, let's just turn there together. I'll read it, and then we're going to have several verses tonight. I'll just have you all turn to those different ones, but let's just all turn together to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Because I want us to realize that as we begin this study that I want us to know that God has given to us um, everything that's needed for the Christian life. So what I'm going to be going through with us, 
you know, isn't anything really new, and it shouldn't be new, because the Scriptures have told us all that we need, and God has given us everything that we need. And so here in uh, 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, I'll read verses 3 to 11. It says, His divine power, and so this is speaking of God, so His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge, and your knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, a lot going on in that verse. We're not here to break it down tonight. But what I want you to recognize in this verse is from the very beginning, it says that God has, His divine power has granted to us everything that we need for this life, for godliness, meaning uh, for the life that we're to live in Christ, uh, that, we, that we have it all. But what tends to happen is we tend to forget uh, what God has done for us. We tend to forget that we have been delivered from the corruptions uh, of this world. And as Peter says there, sometimes we, sometimes we just become so nearsighted that we, we don't see these things. We, we fail to remember these things. Uh, but when we do remember them, when we do remember what God has done for us, it spurs us on uh, to grow in Christ. So that's there in essence what uh, Peter is telling us in those verses. And so really what we're going over tonight, there in your sheet, it says the process of the Christian life. And so this process, as I, as I call it that, that will be the normal term I probably use throughout these next few weeks, is that this process of the Christian life, uh, it is sanctification. And that's really just a big word to think about or that's sometimes used uh, to talk about the Christian life, and that is sanctification. Um, if you would turn, someone turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, if, then if someone else would turn to Romans 6.22. So 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Romans 6.22. And once you get one, if you just want to call out which verse you got, they don't have to be read in any particular order. All right, what does it say? Yeah. And so anytime we ask, hey, what's God's will for my life? Well, we can confidently say, sanctification that is god's will for your life certainly there's more but sanctification uh, what's romans six twenty two? does someone have that <laughs> so everyone's turning to the first one no one to the second one all right okay and so we've been set free from sin. Uh, we've become slaves to God. We've become His servants. He's made us His servants. And I love that. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. 
That, that's what God's doing in our life. And so uh, sanctification, what does that mean? Well, here's a definition from Wayne Grudem, just printed there on your sheet already for you. And so just this big word, sanctification, it means it's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Uh, this comes from his uh, systematic uh, theology book. Uh, from that definition, what just stands out to you? What's maybe one or two things that stands out to you from that definition of sanctification? Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah, we're going to touch on that a little bit tonight and throughout the rest of this series. What, so basically what it's saying is there's a role for God, but there's also a role for, for us. So when it says man, it's, it's referring to the Christian here. So the Christian man, the Christian woman, uh, that there's a role, responsibility for us. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. Isn't that good that God doesn't start and stop on us? We, we kind of start and stop on Him, but He is progressively just working in our lives just constantly. Were you going to say something? Okay. All right. What else stands out to you? Anything else from this uh, definition? What do you think about that phrase that it makes us, that sanctification, the process of it, uh, makes us more and more free from sin? <laughs> and why is that a good reminder for us? <laughs> that's what it that's what it feels like, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like uh, um, Jerry Bridges. If y'all have ever read anything from Jerry Bridges, great great author. He passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but one of the things that he points out, I can't remember which book it is. If y'all have read it and, and know the title of the book, remind me. But uh, he says that as we grow more holy in the Christian life, that we're going to recognize, we're going to see more sin in our lives. Meaning, those little sins that maybe didn't bug us at one point, bug us now more. Or actually, we see them now more because we are growing in the Lord. And so, we'll never reach that sinlessness uh, in this life. That's uh, just won't be possible. That's that's the way the resurrection of our bodies when Christ comes back and uh, sin is no more. But we can be set more free from sin as time goes on. And this is what God is doing. Hey, guys, y'all come on in. Jamie, would you take those hand, handouts back there? And so that's one thing I want us to recognize, that from the moment that you were born again. So whenever that took place for you, um, whenever you was born again, uh, for me, it took place around the age of nine years old. You know, didn't understand everything of the Christian life, certainly. But God caused me to be born again in that moment. From that moment, God's been working in my life to, to free me from sin and to make me more like His Son, Jesus. And that's not just for me, but that's for every Christian. This is what God is doing in our lives. When we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 that this is God's will for us, well, God is always accomplishing His, His will. Uh, he is always at work in it. And so this is what He's been doing in our lives. And so God is in the process of forming us, as you see there on your sheet, forming us into the image of Christ. And this is what we want to keep in front of us, because what does the Christian life look like? Am I to look to Wayne Grudem? Am I to look to, to, to Jerry Bridges or to whomever we might choose? And certainly we can look to other Christian men and women for examples. Paul is even... I don't know if I like this phrase, but bold enough to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, uh, 
Uh, and so certainly we can look to one another um, as an example of the Christian life, and we want to be examples to others. But ultimately, who is the example for the Christian life? Christ. Yeah, it, it's Christ. And so we want to look more like Him. We want to be more like Him. And so we won't look at all these verses, but um, if someone would turn to Romans 8, 29, and then if one other person would turn to Colossians 3, 9, and 10. So don't neglect the second pass, passage there this time. Colossians 3, 9, and 10, if someone would take that one, and then if someone would take Romans 8, 29. And then once you have it, whichever one, once you just call out which verse you got and read it for us. Yeah, yeah. So he, this is what he has predestined. I mean, this, we're talking here from before the time began. This was God's, we've already again read in Thessalonians, this was God's will. This was his predestined will for us to do, be conformed for his sons, his daughters, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, Jeremy got more handles back there. So you should be sitting in the back. Oh, Mike has them now. Thank you, Mike. I'm sorry. I know. Next time I'll just leave everything in the back, make it easy to pick up. And so Romans 8, 29, this is, God's, this is God's will. This is God's predetermined will for us. And then who has Colossians 3, 9, and 10? I got it. Uh-huh. What does it say? Do not lie to one another since you have been put off. You have put off the old man with his practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Okay. So Paul there is saying that we have put off something, put off the old man. That's talking about our old self. Uh, that was um, our own, our, our old sinful self. Um, we might say in Adam, enslaved to sin. But then when you was born again, when you placed your faith in Christ, you put on a new self, you put on the new man. And it says there in that passage that Robert just read, it says that that new self, that new man is being created or is being formed in the image of its creator. Now, who's our creator? Who would that be? All right, it'd be God. But when you go back to Colossians chapter 1 in verses 15 to 20, um, it's like this hymn of, of Christ, so to speak. And it says there that all things have been made through Christ, through the Son. And so... I mean, this is true. God created all things, but our God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father creates through the Son. And Paul is highlighting that, emphasizing that in Colossians chapter 1. So in Colossians chapter 3, when he says that that new self is being formed, renewed into the image of its creator, he is specifically thinking of Christ. And so this is what God's doing in our lives. Now, I belabor this maybe just a bit. I apologize for that. But this is what I want us to understand. God wants us to look more like His Son. And we're going to talk more about what that can look like. And that's really going to set us up for the rest of this semester. Now, you also see there on your sheet, it says spiritual formation. I put this here um, because spiritual formation, you might hear it come out of my mouth a, a couple of times. It's a, a terminology I'm kind of used to. Um, it's not unique to this gentleman named Dallas Willard. Anyone familiar with Dallas Willard and his writings? Uh, he passed away. Oh, he was in um, Louisiana, I think, when he had passed away, maybe when we first moved to Belleville. 
So anyway, early 2000s. Uh, Dallas Willard, um, Christian man, um, he was pastoring a kind of a small Baptist church in the New Mexico area, and then he just felt like, hey, I need more training, uh, more education to build a pastor well, and uh, his focus really was on philosophy. This is just how God created him. So he goes off and gets a degree in philosophy, becomes, gets a PhD in it, and was a, prof- now get this, he never went on to pastor anymore, but he was a uh, professor, a Christian professor at UCLA. Now, I mean, just think about the field that he worked in there. Um, and so had just a great influence. And I've read quite a few of Dallas Willard's books. He focuses in a lot on the Christian life. Now, let me just say this. I don't endorse everything of Dallas Willard. He is philosophical, so you always have to keep that in mind with him. But Christian man, not heresy in anything, but probably just things I would state differently. But he wrote a book called um, Spiritual Reformation. In fact, a lot of what we're going through uh, in the course of this, of these next several weeks are based off of uh, what he talks about for the Christian life. And he uses this phrase, spiritual formation. And it's really just a, a synonym with sanctification. You see there on your sheet how he defines it. He says, spiritual formation refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. Now, what stands out to you from that explanation of spiritual formation? Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Like, what what does that mean? Yeah, it sounds a little like I said he he is a he's a philosopher, so he's going to use terms in uh, probably terms that we normally wouldn't use, but we'll see what he means here in just a moment. But certainly, this is, but this is key. If we want to look like Christ, if we want uh, to sound like Christ, now when I say look, I'm not talking miracles and, and those things, but the life he lived, uh, his actions, the way he loved. If we want our words to be like the words of Christ, then our inner self, our soul, our spirit has to be like the inner self of Christ. His thoughts, his heart, his soul, so to speak. Holiness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be part of it. Certainly, yes. And notice there he says that this is a spirit-driven process. And so again, this is a work of God in the lives of his people. Uh, he doesn't emphasize it as Wayne Grudem did in our last definition, but it is something, though, that we have to be involved in. Um, it would be nice if sanctification were just God immediately at work and just you know, accomplished it in one moment. And we had to put out no effort of our own. But that's not how God has designed it. Uh, we must be uh, participants uh, in what he is doing. And so you see there on 2C, it says, in order for us to be like Christ in our actions, we must be like Christ in our attitude. In fact, someone turned to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. This is really what Dallas is getting at here. Um, or excuse me, uh, 2, 12 and 13 is going to talk about the work of God in our lives. So back up to read 12 and 13, but back up, I think it's verses 5 and 6. 
I remember right? Your attitude should be the same as yeah. that of Christ Jesus. Yes, yes. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so there, Paul is saying, you need to have the mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ? Well, in that passage that, uh, that Paul is writing, the context is humility. We need to have a humble mind. He had a humble mind. So when Dallas Willard uses that phrase, the inner being of Christ himself, he's talking about the mind of Christ. Um, what, was his, what was his attitude? We normally maybe would not think of Jesus having an attitude because we use attitude kind of a negative way. Hey, drop the attitude, buddy. Um, tell our kids that all the time, it seems like. But not in a negative way, but this is the attitude of Christ. Now read verses 12 and 13 of, of Philippians 2. Yeah. So that phrase there, to work out your salvation, Paul isn't saying work to be saved. Uh, we won't get into all that, but Paul has already told us that we don't work to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. And um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not by our own works. So here when Paul says work out your salvation, he's talking about sanctification. It's just another way to refer to sanctification. Give yourself to this. Give yourself to this work. But here's the encouragement part of it, because a lot of times, a lot of things I put myself to, like, hey, I'm going to put my mind to this. I'm going to accomplish it. Do you think I actually accomplish it? And you're very gracious if you say, well, sure, Steve, you always accomplish everything that you put your mind to. Uh, just talk to Jamie later on. Everyone has those work projects around the house. Oh, I'll do that. I can do that. And then you don't do it till you're selling your house. Oh, I've got to get it ready to show and sell. And <laughs> then you're doing it. Um, I'm glad I'm not the only one that does that. But here's the encouragement there in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So 2, 12, give yourself to it. Work at it. Give yourself to sanctification. But here's the encouragement. Because, so this is the way that you can start verse 13. Because, who's at work within you? Yeah, God's at work within you. So I think most translations maybe say for, uh, for God is at work within you which is a perfectly fine English word to use, but sometimes just changing the word a little bit helps us to understand it because. So give yourself to sanctification because God's working in you, and He's working to do two things within us. What are those two things He's working within us? To will and to act according yeah. to His good purpose. Yeah, to will and to act. So what would that be? So what's the will? So he's working within us the will to act. What's another way we could put that? Exactly, yeah. So anytime we have a desire to give ourselves to sanctification, to grow in Christ, that is a sign of God working within us. He's, he's given us that desire. On our own, we wouldn't desire that. But God's working that within us. And not just to desire it, but then also to what? Yeah, to will and to do. And so when we do it, when, when we give ourselves to obedience, when we give ourselves to, the, to sanctification, again, that is God by His Spirit working within us to accomplish it. Now, how encouraging is that? God is giving you the desire to grow in Christ, 
and He has given you the ability to grow in Christ. And does He accomplish what He wills? Yeah, He does. Now, it's a progressive work. Again, it takes place over the days of our Christian lives until He takes us home. But He does accomplish that, but He, he accomplishes it by us also giving ourselves to that process. So how has God wired us? And this is really going to set us up now for uh, what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. How has God wired us? And so for sanctification to occur, we must understand how God has wired us uh, really as humans. I mean, I think that that is a, a, a true statement, but we're not just talking necessarily all humans, uh, the saved, the unsaved. I mean, we're really putting our focus, our attention upon the saved, upon God's people, his, his daughters, his children, or his sons. And so we need to understand how God has wired us. And so first of all, what we need to recognize is that we live from the heart. Now, we're going to be using some terminology, mind, heart, feelings, um, a lot of different things. And there's different ways that we can understand these, these terms. And, and even sometimes in scriptures, these terms are used a little bit interchangeably. But there is some distinction, though, amongst these terms that we're going to get into. But we first need to recognize that we live from the heart. So first of all, our heart is the center or inner core of our being from which all our actions flow. So someone turned to Proverbs 4.23 and um, then we'll do one other one. Mark seven fourteen to twenty three. So someone take Proverbs four twenty three, and let's read Proverbs four twenty three first. So someone would take that, and then someone would be ready for Mark seven fourteen to twenty three. Proverbs four twenty three. Mm-hmm. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Okay. So there. Um, the proverb is telling us to, to watch over our heart. Now, what do you think that even means, watch over your heart? Is that what your text there said, Daniel? Keep your heart. Keep your heart. Okay. Okay, so, so keep it. So it's something that we are to do, commanded to do. What do you think that means to keep your heart? What, what, just off the top of your head, not looking for right or wrong answers here. If you wander off into heresy, I'll, I'll warn you and bring you back. Guard. Huh? Guard. To guard it, okay. To what? Protect it, all right. Protect what it desires almost. Like all right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, our heart seems like it's doing something. Um, Question. Uh-huh. Our heart does not to do the thinking. It does, it does the pumping to allow us to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll talk about our mind here in a moment. Uh, but... From what Scripture is telling us is that this component that we just that the Bible is calling the heart. I mean, we think of our physical heart. Um, back in the day of Paul's day, they would actually talk about your 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 spleen, your colon. I love you with my whole colon. That doesn't sound very romantic nowadays, but your bowels actually is what the word would would be. Um, your bowels were your inner feelings. So when you get those butterflies, well. I love her, him so much. You feel like you got butterflies. What's it's there in your gut, and so that's what they would talk about. We clean it up a little bit and say it's from our heart. I love you from my heart. This why I don't write Valentine's Day cards. Um, but our, but our heart, we actually, mm. our mind is telling us. 
Yeah, and that's, well, hang, hang on to that because we're going to get there. What we need to realize is that from our heart, Proverbs 4.23, why do we need to keep it? Why do we need to guard it? What does it say there? Yeah, that's where everything comes from. So why? So now, who has Mark 7? Who has Mark 7, 14 to 23? Okay, Amy? So the general teaching here, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. They thought that if you touch something, ate something, that's what's going to make you sinful. You know, you touch something of the world, and I was holy before I touched it, and now I'm unholy because I touched it. And Jesus is like, no, uh, you're unholy because your heart's unholy. And your heart's unholy, and it's evident by everything that comes from it. So in Proverbs 4.23, when it says, watch over it, keep it, for out of it flow the issues, the springs of life. Well, Jesus here is just giving us uh, just a taste of those things that come from our heart. And it's not a good taste, is it? At least what he's specifically talking about. He says, here's, you slander. Why do you slander someone? It's because your heart's evil. Uh, why do you commit sexual immorality? It's because your heart's evil. Why do you lie? It's because your heart's evil. And so anytime we see someone doing just horrible acts, and if someone were to say, well, they have a really good heart, it's like, nope, time out. No. Their actions betray their heart. Their speech betrays their heart because everything comes from it. Our speech, and this is true for the Christian as well, our speech, our actions stem from our heart because this is where everything flows from. And so that is going to make us to stop and think, well, then if everything comes from my heart, if we live from our heart, then how in the world uh, do I change my heart? How can I get my heart right so that everything else is right? Huh? Yes. And it will get to the is the mind our next thing? Yes, we'll get to the mind here. He, you know, mm-hmm. she was alarmed. Mm-hmm. That's her. That's that strong seal that seals her eyes. Don't let it for whatever is getting you angry. Shield her. Mm-hmm. Shield her eyes or mouth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you don't, it's going to make your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's actually our heart that wants those things to begin with. 
And so the reason why we're tempted by the things on the outside of us, it's because our heart wants it, even as Christians. Why do we want to do sin? And we know sin is wrong. Um, It's because our heart, we're still in the process of being formed into the image of Christ. We're still putting to death uh, the deeds of the flesh. And so on the outside of us, when we have whatever that temptation is, you know, the best example I can always use is just if you're ever on a diet and you see your favorite non-dietary food out there, right? Um, I've used this on Sunday mornings. If there's a a bowl of Brussels sprouts and a bowl of donut holes, there's only one of those that I'm tempted towards. Um, It's not Brussels sprouts. It's donut holes. That's what I want. Same is true for a Christian. Our heart wants those things. So how do we get it to where our heart won't want those things as much and then have that continue to fade within us over the course of our Christian lives? Well, that's where realizing how God has formed us. What are the different components of man? And so if someone would turn to um, Mark, so let's just stay in Mark. If you'll turn to Mark 12... Verses 29 to 31, it's going to be very familiar to you. And as you're turning there to Mark 29, Mark 12, 29 to 31, let me just set it up this way. That going back to the garden, going back to creation, to, to Adam, um, we, all, we know the story. God took dirt from the ground, formed it, and then he breathed into it the breath of life. And it says that, that mound of dirt became a living soul, a living man, and it was Adam. And so from the very beginning, what we recognize is that God has formed us as humans, really to, I'm just, now I am simplifying this very, very much. I'm, I'm, I'm greatly simplifying it here for us tonight. But as humans, we basically have two parts to us. We have our physical part. That's the part that we all see. And then we have our immaterial part, our our spiritual component. And so God has created man to be body and soul. He's created man to be material and immaterial. And, And that's significant for us to recognize because right now when a Christian dies, what do we do with the body that's left behind? Yeah, we bury it. And then the soul of that Christian has gone to be with the Lord. And so that soul is with Christ. Um, but the thing is, God has never intended us to be a bodiless being. And so we're not going to be spirits floating in the air for eternity. When Christ comes back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in other places, but specifically there, in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, It says that the dead in Christ are going to come back with him. So all the souls that have gone to be with the Lord will descend with him. And it says that they're going to be raised up, meaning their body's going to be raised up out of the ground. Uh, Just, you know, whether that body was just the day before put into the ground or had been in the ground for thousands of years and decomposed, God's just going to reform a new body. And the souls of the deceased Christians are going to be reunited with the body. And as Christians, we, and as people, we will live body and soul forever. This is how God's created us. So I just say that, hopefully, to get into our minds, that God has created us in a very specific way, body and soul, material and immaterial, just to use even those phrases. 
But even in talking about our immaterial parts, God has given us some insight into what that immaterial part looks like. And that's what Mark 12, 29 to 31 helps us to see. And so if someone would read those verses for us, 29 to 31. Okay, so this is the great commandment, love God and love others. I mean, if we just wanted to very, put it very plainly, that's what the great commandment is. But it's interesting, and, and Jesus is saying this for a particular reason, because when you go back to Deuteronomy, where this first commandment comes from, to, to love God, uh, he's quoting from the Old Testament, but with what are we to love God? What, are the, what within us or about us are we to love God with? What does He give us? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, again, certainly these terms can have some overlap to them. I mean, in one sense, Jesus is saying, love, the, love God, love the Lord your God with everything that you are. But again, then that would kind of lead us to think, well, what am I? What do I have to love the Lord with? Well, again, we have a mind, so we're going to talk about that. We have a soul, we'll talk about that. We have a heart, we've, we've already spoken about that. Strength, with all your strength, I think that this is a reference to our body, to our physical being. And so we can love God with what we do. And then the second of the great commandment, or the other part of it, is to love others as yourself. And, and I get, again, I get this from Dallas Willard in the way he's looking at the Christian life, but that loving others is that social aspect about us. Now, certainly it's not like a part of who we are, but God has created us to be in community with others. Um, you know, so to go off and to live as a hermit and to think, well, this is going to be God-honoring is not God-honoring. Um, I remember I spoke to... Uh, a young man, and he was considering uh, becoming Catholic, and not just Catholic, but wanting to join some f group of friars and to go off and to join a monastery. And I was talking to him about this because uh, his dad was a member of my church. And I was talking with him and, and just kind of pressed him, hey, why, you know, why are you looking at joining this monastery and going off? He goes, well, I just deal with sin a lot. I'm just tempted by sin. So if I could just go off and be away somewhere, I think then I could be good. Well, how well is that? Do you think that's going to work well for him? I just, I'm going to be alone and never have to worry about sin again. No, not at all. We, we carry that with us. And so God has never created us to be alone. He's created us to be in society. So as we talk about our Christian life, we will be talking about how we interact with others, how that social aspect about us. But let me break down these components here that Jesus gives us, because these are really going to set us up for the weeks ahead. The first of those is our mind. Our mind. So the order of sanctification there on your sheet, the mind. I love the way Dallas Willard puts this, and I won't be quoting Dallas Willard all the time that we're together, but he was so helpful for me in thinking through the Christian life early on. 
He says that our mind is really composed of two things, thoughts and feelings. And so thoughts, as we think about our mind, here's our thoughts. Our thoughts empower our heart slash will because our heart is, since we live from our heart, that's our will. That's what we want. So when you see will, just think of want to, what I want to do. That's your heart. So thoughts, they empower our heart, our will, to range far beyond the immediate boundaries of the situation. We can make judgments, inferences, and comprehend concepts. I mean, just... That, that little short description is really just meant for us to be kind of in awe of our minds and how God has created our minds and how we think. Have you ever just stopped and thought about how you think? Yeah, it, uh, it can drive you mad. It drove... <laughs> it, I'm not like a big philosopher, history of philosophy guy, but uh, Rene Descartes, it kind of drove him mad to where he locked himself in a box trying to figure things out and don't want to go down that path. Um, but if you just even stop and just think about thinking, again, it can be overwhelming, but also it should kind of just bring us before God to worship him to say only a God could create a mind like this to where things can come into me. How do I absorb the world around me? I'm glad I'm not my dog. I mean, my dog puts his nose and tongue on everything to sense the world around him. And I'm like, Ugh. and then he wants to give you a kiss. Um, um, it's like, no, thank you. But for humans, certainly we have our senses, smell, taste, whatnot. But we bring things into us through our minds, through our thoughts. And we are able to comprehend things. We can comprehend and think about things that are not even around us right now. And that's just the power of our minds. So we're going to be looking at our minds and how does God form us in our minds for sanctification. But you see their feelings. Now, you might be wondering, what do feelings have to do with mind? Because normally, for us, we would attach feelings with what component of us. So if we look at our heart, mind, soul, and strength, where would we normally put feelings? Yeah, with our heart. I mean, that's normally what we would think about. Our heart is our feelings. And again, there's some sense in which, yes, they're connected. But this is what really was helpful for me as I was reading through Willard, is that... Every feeling we have, good, bad, ugly, sad, happy, whatever, is always tied to a thought. You never, so these are now my words, you never have a thoughtless feeling. So like when you're scared. You're in a situation, you're scared. Why are you scared? It's because you have a particular thought going on in your mind right now. Uh, why, are you, why are you so happy and elated? I mean, we've all watched movies, and you're watching the movie, and, and really, if it is a good movie, you're, you're drawn into it, as we would say, and your, your feelings are kind of ebbing and flowing with the characters of what's going on, the situation of what's going on. You're laughing with them. You're, you're crying. Well, us guys, we don't cry, right? Except there was one part where a dad rescued his daughter, and, and that always makes me tear up. Uh, We can talk about that later. But our feelings are just kind of going with the movie. And again, when it's a good movie, we don't know why. But there's always a thought going on to generate those feelings. And that's what Dallas is getting at with our feelings. That our feelings, as you see there, it says our feelings incline us toward or away from things that come before our minds and thought. 
Uh, there is no thought without a feeling and no feeling without a thought. And so our feelings do kind of help us in a, to react. If I feel good about something, I'll, I'll go towards it. If I feel bad about something, I'm, I'm going to try to shy away from it. But the thing about our feelings is that they sit on the surface. We, we feel them. That's why we call them feelings, right? They sit on the surface. But then our thoughts are what's underneath it, and that's what we're not always cognizant about, even though it's there. So as we go through it, and it'll be here, I think, in two weeks, we're going to talk more about that connection. But this is in one sense in how the Lord has created us. We, we have our minds. So quick question. Uh-huh. So Jesus adds minds mm-hmm. yeah. to the original Shema. Mm-hmm. Is that significant? Is that, I mean, Yeah, and so, I mean, significant, yes and no. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's not back in the Deuteronomy passage. Um, that's just, so back in the Deuteronomy passage, that's just typically how Hebrews thought about humanity and what we're composed of. And certainly that was inspired by of the Lord as Moses wrote that. In the first century, so, I mean, certainly Jesus is Jewish and those who, whom he's talking to are Jewish. But now it's more of a Greek culture that they're living in um, or have been coming out of. I mean, Rome's in control at this point. Uh, but in that Greek culture, the heart had, uh, or excuse me, the mind had made more of an entrance of thinking about humanity. And so for Jesus then to bring that in, um, he is revealing now, here's how I put it, he's revealing now to us more of how God has created us. It's not just a heart, it's not just a soul, but it's also what we would think about with our minds. Hebrews would, would Hebrew language would kind of put heart, mind together, lump them uh, together, not so much in that first century culture. So yeah, so that's a great question. And so this next component that we are made with, and won't spend much time here, but this is our heart. But you see there, it also has spirit slash spirit slash will. Because when you read through the scriptures, you do see where it talks about the spirit of man. And, and again, this, the, when it talks about spirit of man in the scriptures, in one sense, it could refer to that spiritual dimension of man, that we are spiritual, that we have, one, the Holy Spirit within us, but also just whether you are a Christian or non-Christian, you just have a spirit that's either alive or dead because of sin. And so there's a sense in which that is true. But also when you read through the New Testament and you read about spirit being used, it really seems like it has overlap with our heart. And the way that we're going to be using heart and spirit in our weeks together is in what we would talk about our will. It's the things that we want. And so you see there on your sheet, it says this is, um, it is the capacity to choose and to act. It is the power to do what is good or evil. That's our will. I've said this before, so it might sound familiar to you, but what's wrong with humanity? It's that our, our hearts are broken. Our, our want to is broken. We have a broken want to. Because even as Christians, when we're honest, we'd say there are times when I want to sin. And, and I know it's all wrong. I know that this is against the will of God. But it's what I want. And so our hearts are still broken. They're being mended. They're, they're being restored uh, in the, in, through, the, through sanctification there's a sense that it's still broken. And this, so I've already referenced the resurrection. This is also what makes us long for the resurrection because in those re- resurrected bodies, 
those bodies are no longer going to be sick. They can, will no longer be weak. And we will no longer be tempted. Because there's sin. There's no more sin. God will take sin out of this world, out of this creation. And we will be the people, the creation that God created us to be. Our want to is going to be fixed. We're always going to want to do the will of the Lord. But right now that want to is broken. That's what has to be fixed. And so you see there also it says the heart is connected to the mind and that we must have some object, object or concept before our mind and some feeling for or against it. So why do we choose to do what we do? It's because there's thoughts going on and there's feelings attached with it. Next is our body. Our body. Uh, this is a, the physical component of us. Maybe some, something that we don't always think about um, when it comes to uh, sanctification in the Christian life. Normally our minds are fixed upon the spiritual parts of us, but not so much about our bodies. But our bodies are involved in this process. Because how do I carry out the things that I want to do? How does that take place in this world? If I want the bowl of donut holes, is merely thinking about it and kind of remembering what donut holes taste like, is that going to satisfy me? And say, woo, I'm, I'm satisfied now. It'd be nice. There'd be no calories involved. But how do I express that that's what I want? What do I do? I grab them. Yeah, my body is now walking towards past the Brussels sprouts. Anyone like Brussels sprouts? I hope. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you people. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. I've seen them fried, wrapped with bacon. Nothing is going to help a baby cabbage, just in my opinion. And I go to the bowl of donut holes. So my body is now involved in it. This causes us to think a little bit more about our bodies. Um, this next phrase there at the top of page three, it is a little bit, again, this comes from Dallas. He, again, he's a little bit philosophical here, but he says our bodies is our personal presence in the world. And through our body, we experience the world around us and interact with it. Again, these are our senses, smell, taste, touch, so on and so forth, whatever the other two are. But you see that statement there. It says that our bodies can have a mind of their own. So then the question becomes, what does that mean? Have a mind of their own. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, once you learn how to ride a bike, you'll always know how to ride a bike? Or something like that. You know? So I haven't ridden a bike in quite some time. I learned how as a kid. But if you were to put a bike up here in front of me, or for, well, let me take you back to when I was a kid, do you think I just jumped on the bike and just started pedaling and took off? No. It was like most people. You had training wheels at first, kind of learning to balance. Then you had your dad holding on to the seat and kind of balancing you and then letting go. And you're, you're wobbling the whole time. Your body's just going back and forth trying to learn the, the center of gravity on this thing and how to get your legs working and everything together. And then you learn how to ride a bike. So we had to go through a process to learn how to ride the bike. But if you were to put now a bike in front of me, am I going to have to go through that process all over again? Because it's like, well, I haven't ridden a bike in a couple of years, so I now need to relearn. Our bodies have had a, like a, a muscle memory is sometimes what people call it. 
And my mind just kind of remembers also some of those things going on, but it's like this, this muscle memory. I can jump on the bike and I might wobble uh, at first if, you know, it all depends on what kind of bike, but then you just start pedaling, you start riding, and you're good to go. Um, typing. Is, it, has anyone, is anyone able to not look at the screen in front of you and look at the page that you are copying and just do this without looking at the screen? Anyone have that skill? A few, few do. Are some of you still the two-finger typers? <laughs> All right. I'm somewhere in between. Um, why do you know where those keys are on the board? It's practice. It's one, just kind of memorizing the QWERTY. You know, it's what we call our keyboards, QWERTY, because of the top row of letters. And so that's going to tell you how this keyboard's laid out. And so in one sense, you do just remember uh, where those letters are. But if I were to give you even a map, a blank map of a keyboard, and said, write for me all the letters, you might struggle a little bit. Now, you might be able to finally get through them all, but you're not just going to be able to say, oh, da, 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 and be done in 10 seconds. If I were to say, even without a map in front of you, say, all right, I want you to start from the top. Well, no, let's do this. Start from the top right and start going right to the left from the top row to the bottom row. Give me all the letters in order. Could you do that? And you'd be like, oh, you're thinking, yeah, you're having to think through things in your mind. But if I were to put that keyboard in front of you and say, type this up for me, what would you do? You're going to have to start thinking through, well, this letter's there, this letter. No, you're going to start typing it. It's that muscle memory. And so our bodies are capable of being trained in such a way that we are able to do the things that we have trained it to do almost without thinking. Now, there is thoughts going on. I'm not saying that we do it without thoughts or anything like that. But we're able to do it almost without thinking. So how does that relate now to the Christian life? If you ever gotten mad in traffic and blurted out something to the guy, gal that just cut you off in traffic, you don't have to confess tonight. <laughs> I was driving to Amarillo today. I had to go do a couple of chores, and there were not smart drivers on the road today. Maybe that's the best way to put it. And that, that's right. And you're thinking a thing that you want to say. And sometimes those things come out, right? I'll tell on my wife since I'm here to help her in her sanctification. <laughs> I was playing, um, this is a long time ago, years ago with the kids when they were much smaller. And we was playing Mario Kart. And, it, you know, you're on little go-karts, whatever, in, in the game. And you're racing everybody. And it's either Reagan or JP, I can't remember which of the two, but one of them said, uh, get out of the turn lane, you jerk. I'm like, well, that was awful specific. <laughs> and I said, where'd you hear that? Oh, mom said it the other day. Was, was, I've said much worse towards people on the road. But anyway, you say it or you get mad or even if someone's there in front of you and you react in a certain way towards them because you're upset. And then after you do it, you know you're wrong, and you're asking yourself, why did I do that? It's because in one sense, our bodies have been trained to do that. And so we can train our bodies towards sin and to respond almost, quote-unquote, automatically towards sin. But praise God that we can also train our bodies towards righteousness, 
and to do what's right. And so this is when we talk about our body, when we talk about our physicalness, this is what we'll be getting at here in several weeks from now. Two last things, and then we'll dismiss. Social. Like I said, God has created us to be social. Uh, He's created us to be around others. And so we live, as, as you see there on the sheet, it says we live as we should only when we are in right relationship to God and to others. And so certainly it's that fellowship that we have with God. It's also that fellowship that we have with one another and just how key that is in our, in our lives because we do need our spouses uh, to call us out and say, Steve, why are you being such a blockhead um, today? Why are you basically what that means is very graciously, Steve, why are you giving in to your sinful uh, passions today, being angry or whatever it may be. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to, to look at our lives because oftentimes we are unaware of, uh, of sin in our lives or we just become so used to it we don't think about it maybe. And we need them to speak into our lives. And we need to do that then for others. And then lastly, you see soul here. And uh, the way that Dallas Willard talks about our soul, and um, it is a bit nefarious when we get there, but He speaks of it this way. He says, our soul is that dimension uh, of the person that connects all the other dimensions so that they form one life. Um, our uh, um, Our soul lets us know when life is operating well and when it's out of sync. He kind of uses it this way. It's kind of like an early warning system. Um, you can't really put your finger on something, but just in through thoughts in your mind, but just in through feelings uh, within you, he's saying that this is our soul. It's just kind of saying, hey, something's not right. Something, you know, it's like that little light on your car dash, and you'll check engine. Well, what does that mean? You got to take it to the shop and let them diagnose it, or, you know, plug it into the computer and tell you whatever it is. That soul, our soul kind of acts in that way as he speaks about it. I think it's helpful uh, to speak of it this way. It just kind of lets us know maybe something's out of sync and we need to stop and recalibrate. But we'll get to that at the very end. So lastly, sanctification happens as each each of these dimensions of of ourselves are transformed into Christlikeness to where we have the thoughts of Christ that lead to the feelings of Christ. Uh, to where we have the heart, the will of Christ, to where we have uh, that we will do the things that Christ did, uh, that we will relate to others the way that Christ did. This is what we're aiming for, to be more like Him. And to do that, our minds, our hearts have to be more like Him. So this series is not about getting us to act differently. So, you know, I'm not going to be talking about do better, try harder. In one sense, that is true. I mean, sometimes you just got to tell yourself, do better, Steve. Try harder. You're, you're, you're kind of being a louse. You're being lazy right now. Certainly, that, that, that's involved. But this series is not about just trying to do better. If that were the case, we're, we're going to be kind of encouraged for just a short bit of time. It's kind of like eating cotton candy. You like it for the split second, and then it hits your gut, and you're like, ugh, that is horrible. It's too sweet. That's not what we're doing. But what this series is about is that we would be, that we would, would become different. Um, because when we become different, then we will do differently and do rightly. So that's what we're aiming for. Let me pray. We'll be dismissed. If you have any questions, um, I'd be glad to stick around. Now, Father, we, we thank you for your word as we have looked at it just briefly tonight, as we will continue to look at it uh, throughout these weeks. The God that you have told us in your word that you have given us everything that we need. Uh, you, you have not withheld anything. You have, 
You've given us your Son. You've given us your Spirit. You've given us your Word. And so, Father, we have all that we need to continue to grow in Christ, to grow in spiritual maturity, to bring more glory to our Savior, to bring more glory to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would just bless our time together over these next several weeks, that you would show us how you're molding us more and more into the image of your Son. And God, I pray that others would then begin to see that in our lives, uh, those within our own household, those in our workplace, uh, school, that they would see Christ within us. And God, that we would then be ambassadors for Jesus to speak this good news to others. So God, um, thank you for this time that we're going to have. Bless it for your glory. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.